This is the third and final message in the series, Ancient Prophecies of His Coming. The coming of Christ was foretold by the Old Testament prophets. And we learn from that that just as Jesus came, literally, historically, as prophesied, so He will come again in His second coming. So keep your Bibles open to that enigmatic prophecy that we have read today because that is what we will be studying. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Father, as we come to Your Word today, we pray that as the Holy Spirit inspired it, so Your Holy Spirit might illuminate it that we would understand what You meant by it and how it applies to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Israel is God's time clock. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we read these words, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus came in the fullness of time in His first coming. And so He will come in the fullness of God's time the second time. So why do Bible-believing Christians around the world watch the news about Israel so carefully? Because we believe that God is at work and that He has promises yet unfulfilled to the nation of Israel. Simeon and Anna were so excited about the baby Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we read these words, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel the, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Simeon and Anna were so excited when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. They had been waiting many, many years expecting the Messiah to come. Why were they expecting the Messiah to come in their lifetimes? Why were the wise men expecting the birth of the King 
of the Jews? Was it because of Daniel's prophecy? Made 500 years before in Babylon, among the Magi, the wise men? That book of Daniel that was held as part of the canon of Scripture by the Jews throughout the world? You see, the first century A.D. was a time of great excitement. Not, it wasn't a time of great excitement because it was the first century A.D., because to them it wasn't the first century A.D. It wasn't called that until a few hundred years later. But around the time of the birth of Christ, some of the Jews understood that the predicted time for the arrival of their long-awaited Messiah had almost run out. Even the Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius say that the Jews expect, expected men from Judea at that time who should rule the world. The Jewish historian Josephus speaks of a single expected ruler. He wrote that the Jews revolted against Rome because they understood the Scripture to teach that about that time one from their country should become governor of the habitable earth. How could they know that that was the time for the appearance of the Messiah on earth for Israel. Sir Robert Anderson, once the chief inspector of Scotland Yard, wrote a thoroughly researched book and called The Coming Prince. It is in print today. Look it up on Amazon, you'll find it. In, he de- in it, he demonstrated that the following prophecy could have actually pinpointed the actual year, month, and day when the Messiah would present Himself to the people of Israel. Therefore, as the days came when 30 years ahead Messiah would present Himself and die, people began to hope again. They were eager for any scrap of information about the coming Messiah. They perhaps had heard the angelic announcement to the shepherds, and Simeon had been given a vision about the fact that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. So today, we're going to look at the forecast here in Daniel, the New Testament fulfillment of it, and then the function of that truth for our lives in Christmas 2017. So we go now to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. That which is called the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. It is upon this prophecy that all of our understanding of Matthew 24 and the entire book of Revelation rests. This is the framework. This is the pattern that we understand all of prophecy from. If you understand these few verses, you will be able to comprehend this challenge of studying eschatology, the study of last things. Now, the the context of this is that Daniel has been reading the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, he discovers a prophecy that the Babylonian captivity of Israel would last 70 years. Because they had failed to keep the Sabbaths of the land, God was going to take it out of their hide by sending them into captivity for 70 years. 
But he looks at his calendar and he realizes that the 70 years is almost up. And so he goes to God and he presents this promise to God in prayer and he says, we as a nation have sinned. We have become idolaters. We have turned away from You. We deserve to go into captivity. But we're sorry and we confess our sins. And he confessed the sins of the nation and he asked God, to keep His Word and to restore them to the land. And God not only does that, as He brings back His people under Ezra and Nehemiah, but God graciously lays out to Daniel the prophecy of the 490 years of God's actions towards the nation of Israel. Israel, the 70 weeks prophecy. Now, what is predicted here in this enigmatic prophecy? 70 sevens, 70 shabua in Hebrew. Now, we think in dozens sometimes in English. In terms of time, we think of decades. Remember the 70s? Remember the 80s? Yeah. Some of us remember the 50s. That's about as far back as uh, Sirius XM Radio goes, I noticed, in their songs, is the 50s. But uh, we think in terms of decades, or perhaps dozens. But Jewish people, based on the Bible, thought in sevens. They thought in the seven-day week, which, by the way, is not based on the moon or the sun. It is based on God's created order as recorded in Scripture. Sevens. And so the nation of Israel was set up with a Sabbath day every week. With a Sabbath year. And then even a year of Jubilee. But it was all based on sevens. And so we see here in this prophecy that there are 70 sevens that are to be established here. Are they weeks of days? Are they weeks of months? Or are they weeks of years? Well, we compare Scripture with Scripture. And we find that in Genesis 29-27, in regard to Jacob and Rachel, you remember that deal? Work seven years and you'll get Rachel. And it's like, oops, oh, I gave you the wrong daughter. You remember that one? Yeah. And so it is said in Genesis 29-27, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will fulfill. You will serve with me still another seven years. And there the word week is used of a week of years, a shabua, a seven of years. In fact, those seven-year cycles were very important to the Jewish people. They were to every Seventh year, they were to leave their fields fallow and to observe a Sabbath year. And then the year of Jubilee every 49 years. So, the 70-year captivity that was going on during Daniel's life was a chastening from the Lord for the neglect of the seventh year Sabbath year by the nation of Israel. This was in fulfillment of a warning back in Leviticus 26 where God said that if you become idolaters and you don't keep the Sabbath year, then you will be sent 
into captivity until that is fulfilled. So, we see that 77s of years are determined for the nation of Israel. This is the decree of God. This is the plan of God for Israel. Now, who is involved in this prediction? Look at the text. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Who were Daniel's people? The people of Israel. What is Daniel's holy city? It is the city of Jerusalem. I love that song, the holy city. Beautiful song. Jerusalem. I sang it at my grandfather's funeral. He loved the city of Jerusalem and the land of Israel. He believed in the prophecies. My grandfather told me more than once that his grandfather had told him that he would live to see the day when Israel was a nation again in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And when he saw it happen, he never got over it. How proud we are of Nikki Haley, the ambassador of the United States to the UN, for speaking up for Israel and Jerusalem this last week at the United Nations. God bless her. Because whoever blesses the people of Israel will be blessed. We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God put His name there as He has not put His name in any other place. So many times when we think of the Great Commission, we think of This is our Jerusalem, and we should take the Gospel to the ends of the earth. Actually, Jerusalem is Jerusalem. And Fuquay Varina is the ends of the earth. Okay? (laughs) You may not realize that. uh, but Well, maybe it's not quite the end, but you can see it from here. And, uh, you know, we often think of ourselves as the center of the universe, but we're not. In fact, how many Gentiles are here today? Do you realize that you have only entered into the new covenant because Jesus died for you and rose again? It's only through Jesus that we have any right to the new covenant promises that God gave to His people Israel. Well, so we see who is involved. It has to do with Israel and Jerusalem. And then in this text, we see that there are six purposes. We find purpose clauses Uh, with the word to, T-O. And we see them here. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy place. So we see six purposes for this 77s of years. This 490 year prophecy regarding the nation of Israel. And really, if we simplify this, there's two themes in these purposes. It has to do with dealing with sin and bringing in righteousness. And by the way, that's the process of sanctification that God is working in your life and mine as believers. What's He trying to do? He's trying to get us to sin less and to do right more. Amen? He wants us to put off the old man and to put on the new man. That's the process of sanctification. And God is in this 490-year process sanctifying the nation of Israel. He is setting them apart. 
by helping them to deal with their sin and to bring in righteousness in its place. So notice, the first purpose for Israel was to finish the transgression. Notice, it is not a transgression. It is not transgressions, plural. It is the transgression. What was the big transgression of the nation of Israel? According to Peter, on the day of Pentecost and in his sermons to Israel following the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he said that the big sin committed by Israel was the killing of God's Son. They had stoned and persecuted the prophets down through the Old Testament. But then God sent His Son. And they crucified Him. Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Acts 2.23, You have taken uh, Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Acts 4.10, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man stands here before you whole. They completed their repeated rejection of the prophets and their message of repentance by killing God's own Son. So, the 490 years for Israel would involve, first of all, finishing the transgression. The second purpose was to make an end of sins. That Israel's sins as a nation and a Jerusalem as a city would be ended. Jeremiah the prophet prophesied this in Jeremiah 31.33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put My law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. The Bible tells us that there will come a time when they will look on Him whom they have pierced. The nation, that remnant of Israel, will be saved in a day and they will be granted all the blessings of the new covenant. Ezekiel prophesies this in Ezekiel 36.24, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and you will keep My judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be My people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness." Now Israel has been gathered from all the nations. It is a nation again in the promised land. 
but it is a nation still in unbelief. It is still a nation predominated by materialism, agnosticism, and even atheism. And so many of them who are in Israel today are still in unbelief. We were there this past year in the spring and saw what God is doing among the Jewish people. And He is gathering out in this church age a people for His name. But by and large, most Jews in Israel today are not believers in Jesus Christ. But someday, they will look upon Him whom they have pierced and they will believe in Him. So we see that these seventy sevens of years, God will make an end of Israel's sins. And then He will make reconciliation for iniquity during this time. This word reconciliation is used of the sacrificial system that was throughout the Old Testament Mosaic Law whereby animal blood was shed in order to cover the sins of the people. But God is predicting that day when the sins will not only be covered, but they will be cleansed away. This happened through the death of the Messiah Jesus on the cross as predicted in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Romans 5.10 says it this way, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Here's the problem. God is holy and mankind is sinful. How can these two dwell in harmony? And that's where the cross of Jesus comes in. Because He who is God became man, took our sin on Himself that we might be reconciled to a holy God. This was one of the predictions of what would take place during that 490-year prophecy. The fourth purpose of these 70 weeks is to bring in everlasting righteousness. This is not just a temporary revival of righteousness, but a permanent, everlasting righteousness. This is the righteousness predicted by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So we see the fourth purpose is to bring in everlasting righteousness. And this is the millennial kingdom spoken of throughout the Scriptures. The fifth purpose is to seal up the vision and prophecy. That is to conclude all the prophecies that God has given to the nation of Israel. That that would take place during this time. The sixth purpose is to anoint the most holy place. Within the tabernacle and temple, there was the holy place. And then in that little square cube of a room in the back was the holy of holies. That was the place where God dwelt among His people. God's presence was there between the cherubim above the mercy seat. And it was in that little cubicle that the high priest only went once a year with blood to make atonement for the people to cover their sins 
for another year. But someday, the temple will be rebuilt. And there will be a holy place and a holy of holies where God will dwell among His people, Israel, again. Ezekiel predicted that. And that is exactly what happened with the temple. It was anointed as a holy place. A number of years ago, I was in Israel and we visited a place in Jerusalem called the Temple Institute. And we were amazed to see how much effort and time and work was being done by these Jewish scholars to try to ready the rebuilding of the temple of God there in Jerusalem. They have already made the priest's garments. They are collecting the utensils and making that. They are studying the whole sacrificial system. They are training people. They are getting ready. And they say when God's time comes, they will rebuild the temple. We don't know when this will happen, but the Bible predicts that there will be a third temple. There will be a temple of God in Jerusalem on that temple mount. You see, they can't build it today because the Dome of the Rock Mosque is there. On that Mount Moriah where Abram offered Isaac in that holy place, now there is a Muslim mosque to celebrate an event that has no basis in the Quran. But it's a victory mosque that was built when the crusaders were rejected and and defeated and moved out of Jerusalem. The Muslims built a mosque there. But somehow, we don't know how, the day will come when the Jews will have their desire fulfilled to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. And it will be anointed during this time of prophecy regarded, uh, given here in Daniel chapter 9. A rebuilt temple. Ezekiel said it will come. I will set up my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So we see the purposes of God for this prophecy of 70 weeks of years. Now, when does this time clock begin? When do the 70 weeks start? At the commandment to restore Jerusalem. To the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem is when that prophetic time clock began. The book of Nehemiah in chapter 2 tells us how Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king Artaxerxes. And how he came before him. And he said, I'm sad because the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. And the king grants a commandment to authorize the funds and all that was necessary to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so it is from the time of that command Historians tell us that that was March 14th, 445 B.C. That's when the prophetic time clock for Daniel 9 began. You say, how can God write history ahead of time? 
Because Daniel not only predicted the history of the nation of Israel, but God gave him a prophecy of the four great Gentile kingdoms and then the fifth kingdom, which would be the kingdom of the Messiah Jesus. How could history be written ahead of time? Only God can do that. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Have you decided what questions to ask your next senior pastor? You ought to be thinking about that. Hey, here's a question for a candidate for the next senior pastor of Wake Chapel Christian Church. Ask him when the book of Daniel was written. His answer will tell you whether he's a liberal or not. heard a young man preach from Daniel 9 not too long ago. And he said, when Daniel wrote the book of Daniel... Now, he didn't say Daniel wrote it. He said, when the book of Daniel was written about 200 B.C. And I said, that man's a liberal. Do you know what liberals do with the book of Daniel? They say, after the four great Gentile kingdoms had already happened, somebody, not Daniel... Somebody wrote a book to make it look like God knew what was going to happen. That's what liberals believe. I could name names and universities. Yes. Because they don't believe that God can write history ahead of time. But we believe that God can write history ahead of time. It's called prophecy. And only God can do it. It is the greatest evidence for the truthfulness and the supernatural origin of this book. Yeah, liberals say God saw a dog running at him and whistled for him. You see what's happened and then you say it was a prediction. No. Daniel, the prophet, lived about 500 years before Christ, B.C. He lived in Babylon. He lived in a historical context. He lived during the first great world empire of Nebuchadnezzar. And he predicted the four great Gentile kingdoms. We are living in the tail end of the last one, the Roman era. But the next kingdom that is coming to rule the entire world is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Oh, the Antichrist will have his day in, in that seven year, the last seven years of this prophetic time clock, but Someday, Jesus will rule this earth as a literal king of this world. Well, uh, that's a good question. Just see what he says to that. Okay, I'm trying to prepare you for your next pastor. I really want you to have somebody that believes this whole book. Now, he doesn't have to understand the whole book. Okay, But he better believe it all. Because God said it. That settles it. Amen? It's true. According to this prophecy, how long would it be until the Messiah comes again? Sixty-nine sevens of years plus one seven of years is the whole prophecy, 490 years. These years are counted according to prophetic years, are 306 days each. You can check that out in further studies on this. But this enabled the prediction 
of what would happen. Look at verse 26. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That is a prediction of the death of the Messiah. That He would be cut off. Speaks of a violent death or even of the death penalty for a crime. The crucifixion of Christ was predicted 500 years before His birth. And what also would happen after that? The sanctuary would be destroyed. It speaks of the desolation, the destroying of the city and the sanctuary. Verse 26. What happened? Jesus predicted it. And it happened in 70 A.D. The Jews revolted against the Roman occupation. And Vespasian, his son Titus, both who became emperors of Rome eventually, uh, their armies, the 10th legion, attacked Jerusalem. At that time, historians tell us that 5 million Jews were killed by the Romans. And the city of Jerusalem, they were enslaved and scattered throughout the earth. Jesus predicted this when He looked over Jerusalem and He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her her chicks, but you would not. Now your house is left unto you desolate, even as Daniel the prophet had predicted. If you go to Israel today, you will see that Jesus' prophecy that of that temple building there would not be one stone upon another. It is true. Titus instructed his soldiers not to destroy the temple. But then, it caught on fire and the golden roof. The gold melted and drained down between the walls. And the Roman soldiers took those huge stones and pushed them off the temple mount down into the valley below. You can see those stones today as I have. And touch them. Because there was not one stone upon another as Jesus predicted it would be in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy that the sanctuary would be destroyed. That followed the death of Jesus. 70 A.D. Now what about the aspects of this prophecy that have not been fulfilled yet? Well, Matthew 24 and the entire book of Revelation fitted together with the prophecy of Daniel 9 of the 70th week, we find here that the last week of years has not happened yet. So when Jesus was crucified, the prophetic time clock of Israel stopped. It was foul, time out, penalty. The clock stops. And now we are in the church age, a parenthesis in God's prophetic time clock of Israel. We don't know how long this parenthesis will last, but someday the rapture will take place. Jesus will come and take His own home to heaven. The prophetic time clock of Israel will begin again. And the great tribulation events described in the book of Revelation will take place. And in the middle of that seven-year period, there will be the Antichrist who will sit as God in the temple of God and declare that He is God. And then all the horrible judgments of God described in the book of Revelation will come upon the earth. Because God keeps 
all of His promises and all of His prophecies. It all fits together when you understand the prophetic time period described here in Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9. How do we know that there's a gap here? Well, if we read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And yet when Jesus read that verse in the synagogue there in Nazareth, He stopped after the acceptable year of the Lord and did not say in the day of vengeance of our God because Jesus believed in the partial fulfillment of His first coming. He knew He was going to die. He knew the nation would reject Him. And He knew that He was going to gain a bride, the church, during that parenthesis time. But that God would keep all His promises. This parenthesis is interpreting Scripture the way Jesus did. So what is the fulfillment? The New Testament fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, it comes in Luke chapter 19 and verse 37. Then as He, Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now as He drew near, they, He saw the city and He wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things which make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This your day. Jesus knew that that day, Palm Sunday, was the day predicted by Daniel in which he would present himself as king to the nation of Israel. It was their day. But they had missed it. How many times have we heard the news? Million dollar lottery winner who doesn't claim his prize. You don't know what happened to the ticket. You know, the dog ate it or he forgot it. You didn't know what he... But he didn't claim his prize, so the money sits there. That's how it was for the nation of Israel. Their king presented himself, but they didn't get it. It was hid from their eyes. And because of that, they had destruction and misery and all the troubles of the nation of Israel that have come since that time have been upon the heart of God a great sadness because they rejected their Messiah. But the story is not over. Their day will come and God's promises will be fulfilled for the nation of Israel. Jesus had this time clock in mind all the way through His life and ministry. Over and over He said, the time is fulfilled. Or my time has not yet come. Or my time has not yet fully come. And then He finally said, my time is at hand. He knew the prophetic time clock of Daniel chapter 9. The last seven of years has not been fulfilled yet according to Jesus in Matthew 24. 
Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. For then there will be great tribulation such as not as, has not been on the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So, has the tribulation happened yet? No. Will it happen literally? Yes. When will it happen? After the rapture of the church, God's prophetic time clock will begin ticking once again and will result in the millennial kingdom after seven years of fulfillment of tribulation. Now what difference does this understanding of this doctrine make? You say, Pastor, it's been really complicated this morning. I have to listen to that message again or online or something. Yeah, there's a lot. I've given you a lot of information today. But what difference does it make? Well, number one, for young people. Any young people here? Yeah, young people, listen up. I want to tell you, God has a plan for history. History is His story. Don't ever try to study history without understanding God's version of history. It is, it is in God's Word. You can only understand the past from the Bible. You can only understand the future from the Bible. It is His story from start to finish. Adults, God has future plans for the nation of Israel. He's not done with that nation. He will finish the job of salvation of Israel. Watch Israel and watch Jerusalem. And remember God's prophetic time clock. Bible students, many of you are Bible students. The New Testament church is a parenthesis in the history of Israel. The New Testament church does not inherit or fulfill all the Old Testament promises to Israel. There are promises made to Israel and promises made to the church. Keep them straight. And then for all Christians, God is in sovereign control of history. Our hope must not be in earthly leaders or in government or even in churches, but in the Lord from heaven. Only He can solve the world's problems. And all believers, with the nation of Israel back in its land and plans for a rebuilt temple being made, the stage is being set for the tribulation. And so we see when the stage is being set for the tribulation, we know that the rapture is coming. Hey, when you see the Christmas decorations going up in the stores, you know that Thanksgiving is coming, right? <laughs> now, there are no signs for the rapture, okay? But when we see the stage being set for the tribulation, we know that the rapture is coming. We look up because He is coming. Jesus came right on schedule. He will come again the second time, right on His schedule we don't know when He is coming, but we can be ready. Like Simeon and Anna, we can be those who are looking for the Savior because we understand this book. Simeon was described as a just, righteous man. He had been made righteous through the blood that God had offered for him. And Anna, she was one that was serving God night and day. And this gives us a good clue to being ready for His second coming. Number one, we must be standing in the righteousness of Christ alone. In His finished work for us on the cross and rising from the dead. And then as believers in Christ, we are to be busy serving Him until He comes. Let's bow in prayer.
Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? As each one thinks of our own spiritual condition before God, are you ready? Are you standing in the righteousness of Christ alone? Have you admitted to God that you're a guilty sinner and believed on Jesus who died for your sins and rose again? If you have not yet, today is the day of salvation for you. Just pray a prayer in your heart. Just silently. You can pray before God. He can hear your heart. Just say, Dear God, I know I'm a guilty sinner. Jesus, I believe that You died for me and rose again. Jesus, I receive You into my life as my Lord and Savior. Thank You for the free gift of eternal life. Father, I pray for each one who is trusting in Jesus for salvation today that we may serve You with gladness as we anticipate You're coming for us the second time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Rick Powell is going to come to lead us in prayer. After we pray together, we'll sing God be with you till we meet again. Rick, would you lead us? Would you bow your hair with me, please? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatest gift that the world has ever been given. With us exchanging gifts in over the next few days, help us to realize that the gifts we give are not for us, but it's in honor of Jesus Christ, our Savior. If there's someone here today, Lord, who has heard this wonderful message of Anna and Simeon who looked for your first coming and held the baby Jesus in their arms. We look for the coming of the rapture of the church. It could happen today. Help us to send out the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and his love of his Father, Almighty God, that sent him to us and his love for his God and sending and coming for us. Please help us to tell others about this news and guide those that are listening to this message today over Wi-Fi or here in this building, Lord, to open their hearts and minds to accept Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. May we gladly praise you this week and give you all the glory. Our mission of the week is Baptist Mid-Missions, James and Lauren Peavy. Lord, they're special to us. They've come from this church. Lauren grew up in this church. Please continue to bless their work for you and let many souls come to know you as Savior and Lord through their work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.